Hello, everybody. Welcome. As we continue on in our study of the New Testament, this is part number 249, and uh, we're getting very close to being done with the New Testament. We're going to do Revelation 15 and 16 tonight. I combine chapters. I don't normally do that, but um, there was only eight verses in Revelation 15, and so I thought we could get 16 in, and then... Uh, and then we're, we've just got, I think, six more after that. Revelation 22, it finishes. We'll be into the book of Genesis in February. It's another good starting point. If you want to invite people, you can tell them, hey, we've been doing the New Testament for five years, and we're about to start 15 years on the, on the Old Testament. And uh, yeah, huh? Genesis itself will take, yeah, 50 weeks. There's 50 chapters, and uh, they're all pretty long chapters. So there's a year right there. But... Uh, that's what's coming up. So we're in Revelation, um, you know, and if you, uh, I love going through the Bible this way. It allows us to keep it in context. You've learned as you've been coming here all about Jesus' ministry, and then you learned about the early church as we look through Acts, and then, you know, all the missionary stuff that Paul went through and that Peter went through, and we've, we've looked through Paul's epistles now, and then we've read through the other, you know, lessons and sermons that were in there by the writer of Hebrews and, and James, and then just recently we looked at 1st, 2nd, and 3rd John, and now for the last, um, well, almost four months, we've been looking at Revelation. And Revelation is a fascinating book. There's a, it's a book with a promise that it's a blessing to read Revelation. It's an encouragement to believers. Um, it's a revelation of Jesus Christ. We're always wanted looking for what we can learn about Jesus when we, when we look through Revelation. There's some very difficult passages in Revelation. There's some things we don't completely understand. Um, a lot, sometimes people go way out of their way trying to make sense out of things that I don't think we can yet because we're, they just haven't been uh, we don't know enough yet to figure everything out remember there's a lot of different historical ways of looking at Revelation and, and I'm okay with, with you having you, you know, your own sort of understanding of that there's a lot of really good theologians who believe that and um, some, some believe that all of these events already took place back in John's time. Some believe they're only symbolic and will never actually happen. Um, I sort of approach it from a futurist point of view. I believe these things are yet to happen, um, so that will be reflected in our discussion. But, you know, there's a lot of room even in what that looks like. Uh, and so we're, we're trying to um, move through the book, understand what we can, not get stuck on it, not try and make um, big leaps that we really can't make. And um, just get a better feel for it so that, you know, we're not, uh, we're not intimidated by it. And we understand that it is a book, uh, um, you know, that's for believers. It's a, it's a great book. Um, today, we're going to look at some very hard stuff as the wrath of final seven judgments of God are poured out. And it's sometimes hard to understand the wrath of God. Um, and, and so we've been trying to talk about why and what it looks like and, and maybe break some ideas that we have culturally about um, but God, and so we'll talk about that some more. But um, these are the last seven. So we've already seen the first 14 judgments poured out that, um, uh, you know, impacted parts of the, the, the earth and the, the globe and, and have, you know, have been devastating in many ways. But there are still um, people who um, have aligned themselves now with this uh, false, unholy trinity and have refused to repent even though they've been offered many, many opportunities, and now um, these, these final judgments will be poured out as God will once and for all deal with evil, and that's what has to happen. Um, he's got to finally deal with all of it. Uh, 
And so, um, you know, the, the reason that it's been happening in stages, people have had a chance up until this point to repent throughout. We've seen it offered the last series of judgments in, in chapter 8. People still had an opportunity to repent. Um, I believe with these final seven that these people's hearts are so hard that, that even though they know it's God, they, they absolutely refuse. In fact, it says they know it's God and they just curse him in the end. And it's a picture of the hard-heartedness of some people. But in... Uh, in chapter 15 now, as, as we've seen all the, you know, in the previous chapters, we've watched everything sort of line up and we've been introduced to um, the, the unholy uh, trinity, you know, and, and what they look like and what they're going to do and people have aligned themselves with the, the, the beast and the false prophet and Satan um, and yet uh, there's still around the throne ongoing worship of the believers and um, you know whether it's the believers of all time or at that moment it's just the recently martyred believers in this last tribulation period there's still this worship of God that we've seen throughout the book going on around the throne and um, they're singing a song of praise to God that you're going to see that I, I, it's a great song they're singing great and marvelous are your deeds Lord God Almighty just and, just and true are your ways King of the ages who will not fear you O Lord, and bring glory to your name. For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you for your righteous acts have been revealed. And this song is going as these judgments are about to be released and the, the final you know, wrath of God is, is uh, underway. Um, again, horrendous stuff, but um, don't think about it without understanding that everybody has had multiple opportunities to repent. And, and it was God's heart that they would all repent. It's God's heart that everybody would choose to follow him. It's God's heart that um, we would spend eternity with him. He created us um, for that very reason. But he gives us this ability to make choices. And we choose whether we'll spend eternity with him or not. And we choose that in this life. And if we choose to spend life with him in this life, we choose, then, then we're choosing to spend with him for eternity. If we choose not to in this life, ultimately what ends up happening is God honors that choice throughout eternity that you make and, and it's, it's that people want to sort of think well that doesn't seem right but it's if you think about it it's absolutely right um, that's, that's the choice we have in this life that impacts our eternity and so and he gives us every opportunity to make that choice and his heart is you know he's for us he's doing everything he can to, to have us make that move towards him and he was doing it throughout the book of Revelation that's the whole thing the the judgments and the wrath that he was sort of pouring out in, in pieces was for, for people still the hardest of the hard to repent and, and come to him. And, and now we've gotten to a point where that's just not going to happen. But those of you who've just finished our Old Testament survey that we've gone through, we saw it throughout. The, the people of Israel were just like this. They were so hard-hearted. God was in their midst. I mean, you know, uh, it's so, uh, so obvious, like, like going on in Revelation, and they still refused. You know, they would sort of give him lip service, but they wouldn't follow with their hearts. And, and uh, we saw then, even then, you know, pictures of the, the judgment of God as they were exiled. Uh, and um, these nations were allowed to rise up and overcome them and move them off and, and uh, take them into captivity. And, and God rescuing them again time after time and then refusing to repent. And we've seen that throughout the Old Testament. And now we're seeing it as we, we look into this, uh, this last uh, of things happening. And the book of Revelation, too, it's a very Jewish book. Um, maybe even more Jewish than Hebrews. Uh, in its roots and in its understanding, and so we, we hold that in context as we go. Having said that, let me read through, I'm going to read through all of Revelation 15 and all of Revelation 16 to you, 
and then we'll talk about the highlights in our short time together. Revelation 15, verse 1. I saw in heaven another great and marvelous sign, seven angels with the seven last plagues. Last, because with them God's wrath is completed. And I saw what looked like a sea of glass mixed with fire. Standing beside the sea. Those who had been victorious over the beast in his image and over the number of his name. They held harps given them by God and sang the song of Moses, a servant of God, and the song of the Lamb. Great and marvelous are your deeds, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are your ways, King of the ages. Who will not fear you, Lord, and bring glory to your name? For you alone are holy. All nations will come and worship before you, for your righteous acts have been revealed. After this, I looked in heaven... And in heaven, in the, in the temple, that is, the tabernacle, the testimony was opened. Out of the temple came the seven angels with the seven plagues. They were dressed in clean, shining linen and wore golden sashes around their chests. Then one of the four living creatures gave to the seven angels seven golden bowls filled with the wrath of God who lives forever and ever. And the temple was filled with smoke from the glory of God and from his power. And no one could enter the temple until the seven plagues of the seven angels were completed. Revelation 16. And then I heard a loud voice from the temple saying to the seven angels, Go pour out the seven bowls of God's wrath on the earth. The first angel went and poured out his bowl on the land, and ugly and painful sores broke out on the people who had the mark of the beast and worshipped the image. The second angel poured out his bowl on the sea, and it turned into blood like that of a dead man, and every living thing in the sea died. The third angel poured out his bowl on the rivers and springs of water, and they became blood. Then I heard the angel in charge of the waters say, You are just in these judgments, you who are and who were the Holy One, because you have so judged. For they have shed the blood of your saints and prophets, and you have given them blood to drink as they deserve. And I heard the altar respond, Yes, Lord God Almighty, true and just are your judgments. The fourth angel poured out his bowl on the sun, and the sun was given power to scorch people with fire. They were seared by the intense heat, and they cursed the name of God who had control over these plagues, but they refused to repent and glorify him. The fifth angel poured out his bowl on the throne of the beast, and his kingdom was plunged into darkness. Men gnawed their tongues in agony and cursed the God of heaven because of their pains and their sores, but they refused to repent of what they had done. The sixth angel poured out his bowl on the great river Euphrates and its water was dried up to prepare the way for the kings from the east. And then I saw three evil spirits that looked like frogs. They came out of the mouth of the dragon, out of the mouth of the beast, and out of the mouth of the false prophet. They are the spirits of demons performing miraculous signs and they go out to the kings of the whole world to gather them for the battle on the great day of God Almighty. Behold, I come like a thief. Blessed is he who stays awake and keeps his clothes with him so that he may not go no naked and be shamefully exposed. Then they gathered the kings together to the place that in Hebrew is called Armageddon. And the seventh angel poured out his bowl into the air, and out of the temple came a loud voice from the throne saying, It is done. Then there came flashes of lightning, rumblings, peals of thunder, and a severe earthquake. earthquake. No earthquake like it has ever occurred since man has been on earth. So tremendous was the quake. The great city split into three parts, and the cities of the nations collapsed. God remembered Babylon the great and gave her the cup filled with the wine of the fury of his wrath. Every island fled away, and the mountains could not be found. 
from the sky, huge hailstones of about a hundred pounds each fell upon men, and they cursed God on account of the plague of hail, because the plague was so terrible. And blessed be the word of the Lord. Pretty intense stuff. Um, And you know, and, and so, the, the, just watching that stuff unfold, you know, part of me when I read about that and, 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 uh, and I try and imagine what happens um, and, and the hardness of people's hearts, and, and we encounter hard-hearted people from time to time in our journeys, and, and uh, all of us do, and, and you know, our hope is always that they'll, something will happen to impact them to change to soften their hearts and repent. And we're, we're fortunate, I think, that most of us have seen that happen. Um, with, uh, we've seen people who we maybe thought this, this person is beyond, beyond reach and sometimes they're the first people that, that are reached. I, I, I think that's kind of interesting. But, um, you know, that's always our hope and God's hope. But here at the end, you know, there ha- a time had to come when evil was once and for all dealt with. And um, that's what we're seeing happen. Those seven last plagues, they're also called the seven bowl judgments. And unlike the previous judgments, these are universal. Um, The other judgments impacted parts and areas of the globe, but these are universal and um, they will destroy all evil. That's the end result of the wrath of God being poured out. Um, The song being sung is a song of deliverance of the people of God from the evil one. It's the, it's the big song of deliverance that, that they are being set free um, completely and finally from the evil one. Now remember, at the cross, we were in effect set free and the enemy rendered virtually powerless, but he still operates until his end. Uh, he operates using deceptions and lies and tricks and traps like he does throughout the book. Of revelation and false and counterfeit signs and miracles and, and uh, often, you know, t- trying to um, I- imitate or mock the, the glory of God and, and the, the Trinity. Um, but, but he's already been exposed and, and yet he still is at work and we see the evidence of his work all around us. But we also know that God is at work and, and uh, that he empowers us as his kids and we don't need to be afraid of any of these things. We've talked about that time after time. That um, you, as, a, as a believer, you don't need to fear any of this stuff because God's got you and, and he'll, he'll always have you. He's got you and he, and he will hold you tight and close. And so um, even should, we, should it be that we end up in this period of time, it's going to be all right. It would be tough, but you'll be okay. Um, and so you hold on to that hope. Now, as I've told you, it's, depending on how you believe it, the church may not be in for this period of time. I like that view personally because I'd rather not be here. Um, and so I think about as I study that maybe because I tend to like that, I, I might lean towards that idea, but I also see the, the theological basis for mid-trib and, and particularly post-trib. Um, but I do like the idea of, of Jesus coming and calling us up, catching his bride up. I think as we've talked about, it fits with the Feast of Israel better than the other ideas. And, uh, but it's really, you know, in church history, that's a fairly recent couple hundred year old thought. Um, historical church always was more of a post-trip sort of deal. But um, I'm hopeful. Uh, I like to think about it being pre-trib, and if it's not, well, then we'll deal with it. If it's not pre-trib, then we'll, I'll be immediately a mid-tribber. 
Uh, and then uh, if we pass three and a half years, I, I will be a uh, post have I had I survived. So uh, there you go. <laughs> but at the moment, come and trumpet sound, Lord, and catch up your bride. Let us start the wedding feast and then come back with you when he leads on the white horse. I'd like to be in that group, the Revelation 19 group that we're going to read about, and Jesus on the white horse, and I'm in. But whatever, Lord, and however you do it, it's good. Uh, it'd be just as cool to see that coming too, you know what I mean? Or wherever, or being around the throne because you made it through for whenever long you made it and you, you were taken out, all good. So then um, Revelation 16 starts and these seven bold judgments, they're God's final and complete judgments on the earth. And uh, some similarities, as I've already discussed, between these and some of the previous judgments, um, like particularly the trumpet judgments that we read about in chapter 8. Um, but the, the main difference is these are complete, where the trumpet judgments were just partial. And secondly, um, my understanding of, of how I view this is there was still opportunities um, in that second wave of judgments for people to repent, and I don't believe they existed anymore. And if they did, these people were so hard and they weren't going to respond to it. They refused to respond to it. So maybe, they, maybe it was still possible, but they didn't um, in that period of time. Uh, verses 6 and 7. This is where we, you know, we really begin to deal with the, the wrath of God. And it's very difficult for many people to accept. And it, it, it will get you into a lot of fascinating conversations. People have this idea of, well, if, if there is a God, then he's a loving God, and he's a good God, and how can bad things happen? And um, it, this is sort of the cultural viewpoint of um, their idea of God, and then their, their idea of God seems to trump anything else, and, and unfortunately, there's this picture. See, I'm going to say this. I want to make sure you let me finish the thought. I would say that there's a cultural perspective of God a lot of times that, that, that God is a, like a good old boy. And, and let me tell you, God is good. I'm all for that. But, but he's, he's not a good old boy, you know, where he, oh, he's just going to make it, oh, whatever. You know, it's all good. Everything's good. Don't worry. Um, there's a, he's a moral God. And there's, a, there's an absolute truth and morality that he stands for. And evil must be dealt with. Has to be. And, and he made a way because of his grace and his mercy at the cross for all of us to be reconciled to him. And anyone who refuses to do that is, is caught under this, this remaining wrath. But there's, there's just constant opportunities for people to repent. And he's made it as, you know, as clear as he can that, that, that people can respond to. It's his heart that they would respond to him and to the way back to him to be reconciled to him. And he did it all at the cross. I mean, we celebrate... At this time of year, everything that was, you know, that, that God himself came, fully man, fully God, and, and, and you know, born miraculously in, in fulfillment of, uh, you know, thousands of years of prophecy, um, just perfectly coming and arriving on the scene in the most humble of ways. He didn't come on a white horse. He came through the, through the womb the first time so that, I think, mostly so people wouldn't be afraid of him. And then he, he lived this perfect life um, and, and willingly went to the cross on our behalf and exchanged his life there for ours, paid for our sin and, and, and gave his life, died there on the cross, defeated death, rose again, um, the first of many, that we have a, a way back now to God to be reconciled to him. And so he's made it possible for us and, and for everyone. It's his heart. God so loved the world that he gave his only son. He did it for everybody. Wants everyone to choose to follow him, but some people won't. 
And unfortunately, at that point in time, their, their choice will be honored. And um, so you, you have to hold that into account when you, when you try and reconcile and get your brain around some of those things that this is at, after so many opportunities for people to change and repent and, and just a hardness of heart that refuses. And, and um, then we see that, you know, in the wrath of God as, as to, it's a, it's a you've got to remind it, it's a picture of how um, horrendous sin is. Because we have a we have a we have a tendency to kind of lighten sin. Yeah, it's sin is horrendous, and it's it's pictured the the horror of it the 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 mess it is is pictured. You know, remember, and it it was always been that way. I mean, if you if you if you read about the sacrifices in the Old Testament, they, they were constant and ongoing, and there was bloodshed and burning of, of to try and let people know how horrendous sin was back then. And I mean, it, it cost them their, their their best of things to to come, so they would begin to get an idea of of how horrendous sin is. And then you know, God Himself coming and and giving Himself, the Creator of it all, exchanging His life for ours there on the cross. When you when you you have to take in the magnitude of how horrendous sin is and how, how horrible evil is and what lengths God has to go to to deal with it. A perfect, holy, moral God. So we see that in pouring out finally in these judgments. These people know that these judgments come from God because they curse his name and refuse to repent. And that's happening throughout each one of those judgments. And then in verse 15, and I like this because I think it's hopeful and I like that it's in there. He's, you know, behold, I come like a thief. Um, blessed is he who stays awake and cleaves his clothes with him so he might go naked and be shamefully exposed. This, um, Paul picks this theme up in 1 Thessalonians 5, 1 through 6. Very hopeful verse. And uh, you might want to write that down and read it later. Uh, Paul says, Now, brothers, about times and dates, we do not read to write you. For you know very well that the day of the Lord will come like a thief in the night. While people are saying peace and safety, destruction will come on them suddenly as labor pains on a pregnant woman and they will not escape. But you brothers are not in darkness so that this day should surprise you like a thief. You are all sons of the light and sons of the day. We do not belong to the night or to the darkness. So then let us not be like others who are asleep, but let us be alert and self-controlled. And so the admonition there is in this, the midst of all of this is that, that as, as followers, as, as believers in Christ, we're to live these lives that we have now um, with the understanding that he's coming back and, and we, any time he could come back we're supposed to be living like he's coming back at any time um, balancing that with the idea that he, he might be holding off because of his mercy and that's how we live in that tension in our lives uh, and, and so it's very important that we get that and what that helps us do then I think is live trying to do the next right thing see we want to be um, living for him, redeeming the time until he comes back, knowing what he's done for us and that we've been given new life, then, then living this out for him and, and having an impact because we, we don't want people to end up in this fate. I don't. I, I want to see him come to the Lord and help others come to the Lord. And that's our heart. So we, we hang on to that tension as we live and I, I think it helps us, it motivates us to live for him, to... Um, uh, certainly enjoy, you know, he wants us to enjoy this life, but, but to, to understand that there's a purpose and a, and a mission and, and uh, all that that goes along with it. So all that's taking place and, and that's sort of what you know, I get out of these two chapters and I, I hope that's helpful and gives you some stuff to think about over the week. Like as next week we'll look at um, the 17th chapter and then we'll, we won't, uh, on Christmas I'll be, I'll be just doing a little tiny simple gospel message 
very, if you bring your friends, we want to make sure they hear about Jesus that day. But it'll be in a way they can, they can chew on. And uh, um, we'll be very sensitive to the, the unbelievers in the group, but bring them. And then uh, we'll pick it up back on the other side of that in Revelation 18, and we'll move through till the end. And then we'll start in Genesis. So that's where we're at. If you're watching my video, thank you so much. We appreciate you doing that. If you're on uh, TV watching, we're also happy you did that. We'd love for you to come and visit. Our website's keysvineyard.com. There's a prayer page there if you need prayer. Go and find it. Other than that, we're going to call it an evening.